let me welcome you on our next panel discussion. But before this starts, there's a small presentation from Uri Forgaj from Fumbi. So let me first welcome you on the stage, uh, which is yours now. Thank you very much. And thank, thanks to all of you, because the, the day has been quite long and uh, all the topics we have already covered were quite exhausting. Um, but the, the next one is, I think, uh, very important and very interesting as well. Let me jump right into it. And uh, I think the panel guests will later discuss it as, as well from their own angles. Uh, we are talking institutional adoption of cryptocurrencies which um, is the topic of the next uh, couple of years. So as, as, as I see it, um, cryptocurrencies are developing and have been developing in quite distinct stages of their, of their development. So we can, we can recognize uh, cryptocurrencies which are currently only in, um, in the stage of experiment, uh, such as, for example, I don't know, X-Infinity or whatever, which, uh, which is uh, a technological novelty, but uh, you don't even know what will happen to it at all. And then you have cryptocurrencies which have passed into uh, a stage of alternative asset, which uh, is something that uh, is already considered um, a target for your money. But usually it's quite risky money. So we are talking Solana, for example, or uh, Avalanche. Then, and this is actually what what is happening these days and these years um, is that a couple of cryptocurrencies, or may, may, maybe only one of them, um, will become slowly a standard asset. Definitely, uh, Bitcoin will become a standard asset quite soon, and possibly Ether. Maybe, maybe some other will join them later. What does it mean? Um, standard asset means that. Uh, it will be everywhere. Bitcoin and some other cryptocurrencies will be a target for conservative capital investments, not only risky capital investments. Uh, all the shops around us will accept it. You will be able to hold cryptocurrencies um, in your own self-hosted wallets, but also uh, using custodians. Uh, you will be also probably having some cryptocurrencies in the banks and in, the, in your retirement plans. And when this is all uh, played out, we can say that crypto is finally a standard asset. And then there is the, the next stage that was just maybe drafted here. Um, possibly Bitcoin can become an asset of geopolitical uh, meaning and uh, importance, but it's far away yet. So when it comes to standardization of crypto, it's all about risk reduction. There are some other aspects uh, here, but they are all coming out of the risk reduction. So let me let me briefly introduce. Uh, so far, cryptocurrencies have been associated with uh, um, quite a broad uh, portfolio of risks, especially for companies and institutions, and that's that's what we are discussing here. Uh, whether it's a blockchain attack or custody and management challenges. AML criminality, as well as volatility and market manipulation, these all were risks that were simply unacceptable for big companies, even for small companies or for, for institutions or financial institutions. So just briefly going through it, 
custody and management risks were probably the bigger risk, the biggest risks um, in the blockchain technology before the the institutional custody solutions were invented. So the technology of uh, multi-party computing or um, technology which which is used by Ledger Vault are technologies that allow companies uh, to encrypt their authorization flows. And that's how mm, crypto is slowly becoming not only a bearer's asset, but an asset that can be managed by by institution based on a standard authorization flow. So this is something of immense importance. Of course, this is connected to hackers' attacks, losing the keys, uh, wrong transfers, and in the ecosystem that was here before 2018 or 19, it was impossible to insure your crypto assets uh, simply because there was no standard technological solutions for, for storage and custody that would be accepted by insurance uh, companies. So this is over. Um, we have institutional custody solutions that are so safe that currently uh, really huge capital can move into crypto without any risk of management and custody. Now, uh, volatility, market manipulation, of course, uh, you can see a lot of happy people. Uh, they are happy because it's going down and they are happy because they can buy low and they can, they can buy the dip. But most of the time, uh, the public is not very happy when it goes down and companies that need the money for operational expenses cannot suffer the risk of uh, their cash reserves going down somehow from one day to another by 30%. So uh, this will be slowly solved in the upcoming four years uh, as the Bitcoin will and other cryptos will permeate the society, uh, increase its capitalization, the volatility will naturally go down as it's basically an inverse. Uh, it's not an inverse function of uh, capitalization, but it has definitely some connection to it. Yeah, you can also see Elon Musk. So this doesn't help. If one person can um, do big pump and dump schemes in the market, doesn't add any trustfulness and then the institutions stay out. But uh, this will be slowly impossible as there are more and more big players stepping in. So if you if you are a big player and you are going to dump crypto with some, some FUD news, uh, you are in the risk that the other big players will just buy it out and you stay out. So this will also slowly, slowly cease to exist or at least on the big, biggest scale. When it comes to AML risk, uh, the invention of uh, chain technologies, chain analysis technologies is something that opened the way for institutional adoption um, in the, I would say, final sense of the word. So... Um, now we know quite quite precisely how much of the volumes of transactions in crypto is connected with criminality and money laundering and also terrorism financing. When it comes to terrorism financing, it's basically zero. And uh, that can be proven not, not only by chain analysis, but also by analysis of the terrorism incidents and um, investigations into them. But all in all, for 2021, we talk about 0.15%. If it goes up in the next five years, uh, um, because of the newly discovered crimes, it will definitely not hit 1%, but maybe 
0.5%. So we know it's low. Also, um, regulatory risks are addressed by the upcoming regulation. So it's either MICA in the European Union or in the US. Currently, there is some executive order on crypto oversight. And there are a lot of legislative efforts uh, by both parties in the, in the US. So we'll see what happens. In any case, uh, we know that nobody is banning crypto. It's not simply possible in democratic countries anymore. So a lot of these uncertainties are away. To sum it up, uh, and to invite the other speakers to the panel discussion, this I think is the last slide, is showing, I think, in quite short form, uh, how important it is that all these risks are slowly tackled and mitigated, uh, and what consequences it has. So we are now somewhere in the in the end of the alternative asset stage for Bitcoin. Other cryptos are uh, following. Some of them will die. Some of them will follow. Uh, and we are slowly stepping into this standard asset phase. Um, this means banks and um, brokers of securities will be able to uh, to provide cryptocurrency services immediately in 2024. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of banks have already their own cryptocurrency product in uh, uh, drafting or development. Even uh, may, maybe not in Slovakia, but I've heard maybe maybe also in Slovakia, but definitely in Western Europe, or uh, definitely in the US. So uh, this is more most likely going to open the way for the uh, early majority adoption. And we can, we can see that in five years, Bitcoin will be probably considered a completely mainstream and conservative asset owned and managed by institutions as well as retail public. So thank you very much. And with this, I would like to uh, encourage the further discussion and uh, invite the moderator back on stage. So we have already welcomed our viewers and attendees here, but let's welcome our guest. And first thing that I would like to do is to thank you for your attendance here. And please share something about you, like some small little pitch about yourself. Let's start from the opposite side. Uh, please take the microphone and guys, keep it short. Thanks all for being here. My name is uh, Georg Bramisuber. I'm Vienna-based. I um, announced as an uh, advisor to Blockchain for Europe. So this is what I do. In academia, I was focusing on legal engineering in crypto ecosystems. And what is, of course, and thanks again for the introduction, the most challenging factor at this time. Um, now, I would say in general in the crypto space is how regulations and the setup is kicking up. So I think legal engineering is maybe the point here. What else do I do? I do block and wine in Vienna with my company that's called Valitvent. So if you're up for a class of wine and talk about blockchain, web free and TLT, come on and uh, let's connect. That'll be here. Thank you. Hi everyone. My name is Peter Curris. I'm CEO and co-founder of Mangata Finance. Mangata is easy and secure decentralized exchange for the people. It's built to enable exchange in between blockchains. You can trade without gas. So it means you can trade uh, with fixed fees uh, because that's a rampant problem in, in crypto right now. Uh, we are the first team in the world that has introduced 
prevention of front running. So no insider trading is possible on the decentralized exchange. And we have been pretty recently funded. Uh, we've raised 4.2 million from investors from Silicon Valley, New York, Hong Kong, and we are a distributed team of 20 people uh, with me sitting here in Bratislava. I can try this one. Okay, great. Hello, everyone. My name is David Stansel. I work as a chief investment officer at Fumbi. And in my free time, I teach uh, cryptocurrencies at the university as well. So that's very shortly about me. Hi, everyone. I'm Richard Fetiko. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Altfins, uh, which launched a couple of years ago. And it's a platform for analytics, platform for active crypto, crypto traders. It's used by um, tens of thousands of crypto traders to find trading ideas. Thanks. Yes, I'm um, Ross Vasilisen. I'm a CEO of Virtus Exchange. I like uh, speaking, talking, and writing about Bitcoin. So those were our guests in present, but we are having also one guest that is online. Please uh, share something about you as well. Hello, my name is Jakub Jedlinski. I'm a teacher at Prague University of Economics and Business, and unfortunately, I have just had a class. Uh, that's why I couldn't come to Bratislava. So thank you very much for having me as this big brother. Uh, apart from being a teacher, I'm a co-founder of Altlift. Uh, we run a regulated fund uh, for cryptocurrencies in the Netherlands, and uh, we also design or help to design tokenomics, so settings for cryptocurrency-related projects. Uh, we do mathematical modeling of uh, tokens that should be used in, in the projects. And recently we have started a gaming DAO. So something like an eSport club using blockchain for uh, online games. Thank you very much, Jakub. So my name is René Darmos. I'm CEO of Moonhill Capital. So that's Web3 Focus Fund. And uh, before we start, I would like to thank also to our partners, main partner, Ministry of Finance of Slovak Republic, also National Bank in Slovakia, Visa, Binance, Blick, and 365 Bank. Uh, also, thanks to all of supporters that is Porto, CRYF, Slovak Credit Bureau, and Fumbi. And also big thanks to all Expert Guarantee, which is Finas, Fintech and InsurTech Association of Slovakia. And thanks also to all media partners. Uh, for our viewers, there's uh, also information that you can use the slider with the hashtag FinWeek. And you can also use B2B matchmaking application that is called SwapCard. So I hope that we fulfilled all duties and now we can dive into the topic. Uh, which is institutional adoption of cryptocurrencies. So we are certainly living in the time that is a uh, really, really turbulent period of our lives. That's for sure. But regarding to institutions and cryptocurrencies, I got the feeling that the situation is a little bit different. Like we can see some giants like BlackRock entering crypto through their private trust and also through investment in Circle or FTX, but also... Alphabet is having its stake in uh, Fireblocks, Daperlab, or DCG. And also Goldman Sachs and Citibanks are Ill involved in projects Certic and Blockdemon. And just two days ago, 
Nasdaq has entered uh, crypto space. So from everything like this, it seems that we are already getting into the point of institutional adoption. And you know this, this curve, S curve, S adoption curve. So my first question on you is, are we already there? Are we getting to this point of institutional adoption? Maybe we are there. I would like to know your opinion. Let's just start from Richard. You are just ready. So let's start. I guess the short answer is that, yes, I think we are. And we saw that. In 2020, we talked a lot about how institutions are you know, coming, the rails are being built. And I think 2021 was definitely a big year for institutions. So you mentioned uh, you know, BlackRock partnering with Coinbase <clears throat> to basically bring on or allow BlackRock institutional customers to basically trade and custody. Um, but I, like Coinbase, you know, when I was looking at their um, financial results, um, you know, they mentioned that they're institutional base of customers had doubled from, you know, second half of 2020 to you know, first half of 2022 from, you know, basically 700 to about 1500 institutional clients that they have. So it's, you know, it's been a big growth and, and you know, Fireblocks that you mentioned as well, um, you know, has grown tremendously. So Fireblocks is basically a custody provider um, and, um, you know, it, it secures the sort of the, uh, and the, the, uh, money flows uh, uh, between wallets and, uh, you know, they have institutional clients and, and that client base grew from like 150 to 800 in 2021. So I think, yeah, we're there. It's happening. <laughs> okay. I'll let someone else. Uh, what about you guys, Peter? I totally agree. 2021 was an awesome year for institutional adoption. Even though I, I'd say that this is still the beginning, we, have, we, we are seeing now only the glimpses of the future. And what I would like to see, and I'm expecting maybe next year or in, in two years, and that would be all those investors, um, that like strategic investors that invested into all those startups, then they would start acquire those startups and integrating them within their existing services. I don't know, be it some Google infrastructure or maybe some social networks or something like that. So uh, this is the next level, the next step that I'm expecting and maybe next year or within two years that could happen. What about you, Rastislav? Do you have the same opinion? Well, definitely. Um, I would say it's, uh, it's not really starting. It has already arrived, the institutional adoption. In 2019 and 20, you had uh, big names like uh, Tudor Jones. Uh, you had Kathy Wood coming in. You had famous uh, MicroStrategy owner, um, um, uh, Michael Saylor, of course, the large uh, uh, commercial banks like um, uh, Morgan Stanley, JP Morgan, uh, Deutsche Bank, uh, Goldman Sachs, and so forth. And as the colleague mentioned, uh, BlackRock and Fidelity uh, came on board, although, although Fidelity has been around for, for years. Uh, this year, uh, they they allowed investors to invest in in their four hundred one k pension plan, so it's a big deal. So, but I, w- I would like to say that um, in order for that to continue, there has been probably like eight hundred eight eighty percent crypto adoption last year, according to BCG. In order for that to continue, uh, we need uh, a financial infrastructure to be in place. So. Uh, there are three major rails for that financial infrastructure. First, accountants have to be on board. And I believe uh, KPMG uh, is already on board uh, this year. 
uh, it's it's one of the big four and um, services about 20% of all Fortune 500 companies. Um, uh, the second one are custodians, uh, crypto custodians. There's several dozen licensed custodians already in the market. And I believe they're more than ready, like um, BitGo, Gemini Custody, Coinbase Custody, and so forth. But the most important piece of the infrastructure is still the regulators. And I believe these uh, regulators have moved on quite fast uh, this year. There's new regulations coming out of the US, new regulations in, in Europe, of course, in, in MICA. Therefore, uh, there's a lot to be done, but uh, the infrastructure is being laid out. And I believe uh, if you're not in crypto, uh, it's, it's, it's still early. Uh, but I believe uh, if infrastructure is built for institution, institutions are in, so should we be as well. Georg, do you have the same opinion, or I, I can see that you are moving with your head? So probably. I think we all we all agree, and I try to give a different answer why because the answer actually what you just reflected on is that now the regulatory level playing field is getting totally and crystal clear. And also the adoption and the awareness of what the real use cases are. Just to get out of our perspective, we are talking uh, stable coins, financial institutions are talking payment infrastructure and payment instruments. We are talking exchange settlements and mechanisms, decentralized exchanges. Um, Nasdaq is talking about and settlement infrastructure. So that's the DLT pilot regime. And all that is now coming, at least in Europe, up from June 2024 20, into law. And now everyone, and especially everyone sitting in a, in a boardroom, is realizing that this topic is now moving from a vision paper to law, and this gives a clear oversight of what is at hand. Maybe I could really be the only one that disagree with this. No, no, no. I will stick to what uh, the other people said here. Uh, I believe that the institutional adoption is real and it's driven by the general adoption of crypto uh, because according to most uh, statistics, uh, half a billion to almost 1 billion people uh, have already exposed themselves to crypto somehow. So when like 10th of the world's population is in crypto, the institution just must react to that and crypto is something you cannot adopt so i think that uh crypto really become the, a serious type of an asset that everyone must consider and it's only natural and yeah we see a, a lot of progress in the regulation which at the end of the day is a good thing uh because it will facilitate many many things especially for uh, <clears throat> for the institution and i'm only looking forward to the day when uh, some of the major central banks uh, use crypto or uh, <clears throat> uh, say that they, they use crypto as the reserve asset or maybe some of the pension funds uh, might include crypto into their uh, portfolio so that that would be another step in the institutional adoption but it is happening definitely. Okay, so all of you agree that we are already there. So one question that now bothers all retail people, like all these gains that were done in previous years, is it over already or, or will, it, will it carry on? Guys, David, you are in CIO here. I would like to ask you about this. 
Well, I think, of course, we now see the bear market once again in crypto. So that's nothing new, probably. But yeah, on the background, what we just said, and you summed it up pretty well, like what all these institution acquisitions that are happening in the space and, you know, like uh, companies like Fidelity offering Bitcoin to their you know, clients in terms of retirement uh, accounts. So I think that's a really big thing that will definitely, you know, like um, level up even the, the, the price levels in the crypto space in the upcoming years. Um, to what extent, uh, maybe we will see us in a few weeks when the Mika will come out in the, in Europe and maybe we'll know more how it will affect the institutions and uh, general proliferation of crypto in the, in Europe. So, um, I mean, the numbers will go up, I'm pretty, pretty sure. But of course, the question is in which time frame, but uh, in the midterm, I'm, I'm pretty sure about it. Peter, Peter or Richard, you both want to say something. So, Peter, let's just, just very quickly. Uh, I don't think that games are over. Uh, you can compare this to the internet, you know, like back in the 90s when the adoption of internet happened. It happened throughout all the angles of the society, like through institutions, but the retail and game people still stayed within the space. And we can already see that by the proliferation of. Um, gaming subdomain of crypto, NFT space, there is DeFi, and all these subdomains are living their own life, uh, which and they are developing in their, at their own own pace. So uh, in the future, I'm still expecting a lot of like traditional finance people to be meeting with the, I don't know, hipster internet uh, people, and all of them will meet in crypto. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great analogy. I um, <clears throat> remember covering the the tech sector as a Southside equity research analyst in the early 2000, 2001, you know, when the NASDAQ crashed and, and, you know, there was, I mean, ridiculous amount of, you know, bubble and, and overhype, you know, in the late nineties when, you know, startup companies, dot-com companies were being funded just off of presentations, no real businesses, no experience from the management and, and just, you know, they would be with IPO with ridiculous prices and there was nothing there. I mean, admittedly, a lot of that was here. You know, it, it happened. A lot of speculation that fueled the initial adoption. Um, and then I watched the NASDAQ go down for two years, from March 2000, uh, down to all the way, you know, to basically early 2002. So NASDAQ went down like 75%. So, you know, basically, uh, and most of that was dot-com. So, I mean, it really resembles what we're experiencing right now. A lot of that, you know, crap, got basically just wiped out and and a lot of great companies you know that kept building during that phase ever emerged out of that and, and investors who invested and stuck with it made you know a ridiculous amount of money you know from amazon ebay and and, all, and on and on so so um you know when when you look at also what gives me comfort that this is not over is is looking at you know smart money i mean um last year the venture capitalists and, and like these are well-known, you know, smart people from Anderson Horowitz and Tiger Global and others um, and that you know, invested $21 billion into Web 3.0 and other blockchain-based um, startups. And that was like four times as much money in, in, from VCs going into the industry than, than the prior year, basically, or, you know, or more than the four or five years in, in prior. So, you know, these people see a future in the blockchain sort of um, you know, commercial space 
And, and when these companies that were funded last year start coming out with their products, uh, you know, this and next year, that's going to kickstart a whole new wave of, of, you know, of investing and capital inflow. And, you know, the fact that the prices are down and many of the altcoins, 90% from their peak is a great, you know, time. I mean, it's hard when you lost a buttload of money on the way down for a lot of investors, but for institutional investors coming in now, uh, it's got to be ridiculously, you know, amazing time to get involved because you've basically um, lift or, you know, avoided uh, sort of the, the initial um, initial sort of crash and you get involved in what I think is close to the bottom here. And so maybe two numbers, which are actually good news for retail investors. We're now in a bear market at 20K. In the last bear market, we were back in 2019 at 8K. So still we are in very good numbers. And I guess this is still good news, even though it is not so nice out there, but still good. Did you want to say two infos? These are the two numbers. So oh, okay. in the last bear market, we were at 8K at the bottom. Oh, okay. Now we are at 20K. I think that still sees border mass adoption is going to. And I think that is still good news for retail customers on their mind. And I think the other catalyst for sort of the capital inflows and, and, and basically the price of the, uh, the altcoins to you know, recovery for, uh, for the recovery of, of the, uh, the altcoin prices will be the actual adoption of the, you know, the utility of a lot of these projects. Because uh, for until now, I think a lot of effort and time was spent by these projects uh, just kind of building it. So, you know, like LivePeer, which is a blockchain-based decentralized um, video streaming, Filecoin, decentralized storage, um, you know, a bunch of other sort of uh, use cases. Um, they've really been just building out their their infrastructure or their user base. And the adoption of actual use cases is it's ramping, but it hasn't caught up yet. And so that's when that happens, the demand for you know that uh, native token will will grow. You know? So I think that you know the real world use cases or or projects that have real world use cases we'll see the, um, the asset prices recover. And, and we're seeing more and more of these, uh, you know, real world use case projects come to the market. Yeah. Um, so that, that's going to help as well. But the other, the other uh, thing I wanted to mention in terms of institutional adoption is that there's a, we're talking about like institutional investor adoption or, or, or sort of um, capital inflow, but there's also institutional adoption in terms of like corporates and businesses that we haven't touched on that that's also happening right now. Exactly. That, that's the thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, like, what, what do you mean basically under this institutional adoption? Because there are another angle of view, what we, what we could uh, say. Yeah. Maybe Rastisov didn't yeah, really say in the run before. I just want to add some uh, numbers. Uh, basically, BCG, uh, Boston Consulting Group, uh, came up with a report that um, uh, according to their numbers, there's going to be 1 billion crypto users by 2030. Uh, they're saying that we are somewhere around uh, in terms of internet adoption or comparison to internet adoption somewhere in the year 1998. So it's still very, very early. These uh, institutions move move very slowly. Their decision-making processes are taking forever. Uh, so just two numbers. Uh, one number, uh, BlackRock and Fidelity entered the markets uh, this year. They're the newest entrance, Fidelity with the 401k, of course, but they've been investors a long time ago. They have 12 trillion under management, just these two companies. 
if you compare it to uh, 400 billion market cap of Bitcoin, uh, you can do the numbers. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 uh, it's incredible uh, potential. These companies have trillions and trillions of uh, assets under management. And a second easy back of the envelope kind of calculation: if only the pension funds in the U.S., not even in the world, entered uh, with one percent allocation into Bitcoin. It will represent at this market cap about 60% of total market cap of Bitcoin. That would probably like uh, triple or quadruple the price right now. So they're moving slowly, but surely. And I believe it's uh, it's going to be uh, quite huge when they start to move, uh, really. Yeah. Jakub, I can see that you agree with basically everything that was said. Uh, I, 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 do, I do agree with my colleagues. Uh, yes, uh, we can clearly see that crypto or Bitcoin are... Uh, so financial asset is being gradually uh, adopted and uh, hundreds of millions of people have touched crypto somehow, uh, but by far they are not using it on a daily basis. And this is another, let's say, quality step in the adoption that will precede some deeper uh, institution, not just general, but also institutional adoption of it. And it's not just finance. Of course, there are some sectors that are mentioned notoriously uh, <clears throat> in when speaking about crypto, like the insurance industry or real estate industry uh, or the gaming industry. And uh, the, the point with games is that it takes years to produce an AAA game like a good game that uh, should <clears throat> uh, uh, that, that should show the real potential of it and uh, I am not really sure whether it will be cryptocurrency projects that will dominate the sector in five ten years uh, but rather it will be the traditional companies that will just tokenize their services because they uh, because the cryptocurrency uh, companies or services will show them the way. So I think it will be the traditional companies uh, adopting not just blockchain, but also uh, tokens. And these tokens might be the new successful cryptocurrencies. Okay, like I said at the beginning, it looks pretty bright for crypto and institutional adoption. But now I would like to ask you if if uh, there's anything that is in your mind that could ruin this uh, seemingly really way for the future of crypto and institution. Is there anything like this? I guess regulatory risk is the biggest one. We've got the expert here on that topic. Are you going to ruin it for us? Yes, now we have some kind of oversight of like regulatory risk now, which is which is good. But I think something is more risky is what is happening in in mass adoption with digital central bank currencies. And I do not see that um, a digital euro uh, backed by European digital bank um, central bank is 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 coming up in the near future. We do see um, euro euro backed stable coins. We do see the circling movements, right? It's out there. And stable coins, they already reached the mass adoption. So it's obvious that this case is to some extent touched. But in order to reach the full scale of mass adoption, we definitely need one on or an off wrap or simply as an as a position one can hold in the digital economy is a digital euro, a digital equivalent of the euro what we right now have. And there is definitely 
the central bank, um, which is European Central Bank at stake and in responsibility. And they do not see in mass use cases that the European Central Bank will come up with such an um, CBDC in the near future. So definitely that is one part, one major pillar stone in the European, let's say, crypto ecosystem, which is still missing. And I don't really see, well, a clear sign that something will come up in the near future, which is something else than vision papers and some reports issued here and there. Everyone is sharing this opinion or would you like to add anything? Yeah, as, as we mentioned, I definitely the the thing I'm worried about most is definitely the some incompetent uh, people out there trying to create super strict regulations and completely crippling the or the benefits that the cryptocurrencies uh, uh, bring us. So I'm not so worried that there would be like you know slowdown in terms of adoption of institutions when it comes to crypto. But the thing we now call crypto, it could be very much crippled by wrong approach when it comes to regulations and, uh, um, you know, like banning proof of work, uh, things like that, that we already seen on the European Parliament. We now see it in the US and some of the states are considering this to, to happen. Then, of course, we have these, you know, travel rules and stuff like that, that could uh, significantly, you know, like um, cripple the whole industry. And uh, I mean, also the previous, um, I think in the morning we had the discussion here, you know, how, how we will how institutions will be able to work with digital assets and uh, if we will ban unhosted wallets or self-hosted wallets, it's a better term for sure. So, you know, these things can definitely to very much extent influence how crypto will be adopted. And and there's still, yeah, I'm a little bit afraid that uh, you know, in Europe it could be uh, taken from a, not such a right approach. We will see, I guess, in a few weeks the def the finite version of um, of uh, Mika and what it means. Even though I probably uh, I assume we will still not know how much it will affect DeFi and how much it will affect the NFTs because there will be probably, as it's usually the case, a lot of room for interpretation to what is actually applicable to what kind of products. So. Uh, I don't have such a high hopes from the Mika being out because I, uh, I I'm, I'm sure there will be still a lot of things unclear, but um, and hopefully just unclear uh, and not directly straightforward, you know, like wrong. You want to add anything else to to this? I mean, I think you know there's other issues that uh, that are encumbering. Mass adoption on both retail and institutions. I mean, it is, you know, security, right? I mean, it's just, it's complex and scary sometimes to, <clears throat> to deal with uh, blockchain based sort of, uh, uh, you know, DeFi projects, uh, staking, um, dealing with smart contracts and constant hacks that are happening. I mean, I think last year there was like $4 billion worth of uh, DeFi assets that were hacked and stolen. So for, you know, a chief investment officer at some institution or maybe a corporation, that's, that's really, you know, that's not a risk you want to take with your job or with your you know, company's assets. So, but that's not a, a barrier that, that's insurmountable, you know, that's being addressed, that's being improved. Um, but even like, you know, just like a couple of days, Wintermute, which is like a well-known market maker, 
you know, screwed up and, and lost 750 million or so, you know, um, because of a hack. So it, it, it's hard. I mean, and, and they're the experts. So that's one thing is sort of the security and, and um, complexity of, of maintaining security of your assets. And the other thing is your user experience, you know, um, dealing with, first of all, you know, multiple you know, blockchains and, and moving assets from one blockchain to another is a pain in the butt, really. And, and, and just generally, these applications still are um, not particularly uh, easy to use you know, from a user experience standpoint. But that's, again, something that will clearly improve. And that's not a, a big barrier, but has a lot of room for improvement that will help the, the mass adoption. Rastislav, you wanted to add something? Yeah, sure. Just like uh, after every crash, uh, even after this one, politicians like to use this crash uh, for getting more control over the markets, imposing more taxes, regulations. This is nothing uh, out of the unusual. Uh, and I think in this case, it might be justifiable more than in other cases. Uh, but what's what's an interesting part in, on this is that uh, the regulators are starting to differentiate, to discern between Bitcoin and 20,000 other crypto tokens. Uh, regarding Bitcoin, uh, most of the heads of probably most prominent uh, regulators in the world, like uh, the Securities Exchange Commission, uh, Gary Gensler, or the CFTC, uh, or the head of Treasury, Janet Yellen, have already endorsed Bitcoin as a uh, commodity. And it's just a question of time before uh, the CFTC, the regulator of commodities and futures in the market, uh, in the U.S. is going to actually legalize it as a regular commodity like um, crude oil or, or gold. Uh, that's not really the case with the remaining crypto tokens. Uh, most of these regulators express their opinions that uh, most of these uh, crypto tokens or altcoins are going to be uh, deemed as securities. So right now they're imposing something like a uh, unregistered securities uh, potential. And uh, that's it's quite, a, quite a danger for the remaining crypto tokens, I believe. Uh, the question is uh, whether the uh, new regulations for the you know crypto tokens and everything else is going to prevent the, the actual uh, frauds and scams. And, and my answer is simply no, because uh, in highly regulated markets like uh, uh, during the Madoff crisis or CF, uh, LMTC crisis or spoofing market regulations um, or manipulations in a commodities market. Uh, all these markets were highly regulated, yet there were all these problems and uh, the regulations could not prevent anything. So I believe the regulation is not really an answer to everything, but uh, eventually uh, we have to get ready for it anyway, because they're gonna move uh, no matter what we think about it. Thank, thank you guys for these opinions. Those were very, very well said, I would say. And uh, you already have mentioned uh, CBDCs, like regarding to future and one of like conditions for um, better adoption of uh, crypto for institutions, like this central bank digital currencies are needed. So you see it as a, as a, as a positive thing in the crypto space, but some of people, they see it as some poisonous apple. So I would like to... Maybe, maybe you know, before we move to CBDCs, uh, could I perhaps add maybe. something to... Or Jakub? Yeah, you know, if I could uh, say something to the previous question before we move to CBDCs uh, okay. about, about the risks, because at this 
stage, I would like to take the liberty of playing devil's advocate. Uh, I think that the regulation might be beneficial rather than a risk. Of course, it can be. Uh, there have always been hacks and scams and stuff like that. And actually, the UX and uh, accessibility of crypto is improving. But there might be another risk, and which is related to the price. Because we have seen in the recent years that uh, the prices of crypto correlated uh, with stock, with S&P or NASDAQ. Uh, and the adoption of crypto to a largest extent has still been driven by the price and by speculation. And uh, if that happens, that now the markets are falling, all of them, but uh, if the other markets return to bull market and crypto uh, keeps falling, which might happen, if Bitcoin goes below 13,000 and it keeps falling, then uh, this, this spell will disappear. And then people, a lot of people will just lose their attention for crypto. And that might slow down the adoption of the other utilities as well. We are still not at the stage uh, where people are not looking at the price and just use it for the blockchain technology and whatever the um, benefits uh, the crypto might have, they're still looking at the price. And if the price keeps falling while other prices go up, this might be a problem. Interesting point of view, very valid as well. So, but those risks that you have mentioned, it seems for me at least that um, it's not something crucial or it's not something that we couldn't work with or it's not that huge risk, I would just say. So um, possibly it is, but uh, I believe that uh, there are already people who will take care of most of these risks. So I would get us to the to the topic that I have mentioned already before, CBDCs, because I'm sure that it's very connected to the institutional adoption of crypto. So David, your turn. Yeah, especially in the last few months, we could see that not all stable coins are created equal, nor they are necessarily stable. And uh, and that's definitely something that, uh, you know, where CBDs could bring a lot of value because of course a lot of people do. And I mean, it's, it's, um, it's nice to have some stable assets and uh, it's definitely useful and many people uh, would appreciate it. Of course, the question will be what exactly will be the infrastructure underlying the CBDCs and what will be the rules and conditions upon which, under which people can actually use it. We are yet to see how this is going to you know, play out. Um, but still, yeah, we just need to be really like um, like straight with that, that it's not that's not really crypto in that sense, and which is okay. It has different trade-offs, but... Um, we, you know, we shouldn't be lured into this poisonous apple, as you as you label it, which I think it's a it's a it's a good term. Maybe one thing to add: um, that's the terror case is, I guess, the case at hand. Also, with the picture of the apple we just had, what is lacking in the crypto space in general are market standards, right? If it would have come up like the crypto economy itself with an with an lie which market standard which is reliable and proven market proven, well, we are not we are not in the position to talk about whether a CBDC is necessary for mass adoption, right? At the moment, I do not see any market standards out there 
would guarantee a stablecoin solution at the equivalent of a CBDC um, would give for a mass adoption, institutional adoption of cryptocurrencies. So maybe that is also the lesson of um, Q2 2022, that uh, especially in the part of um, stablecoins, we do lack especially um, market standardization, but not only in stablecoins, but in various in various um, fields uh, from protocol architecture, token sales, if we talk about the various uh, platforms, CFI, DeFi platforms, which have been hacked or even protocol hacks. This is clearly a sign that there haven't been established, um, well, let's say market standards who avoid such fundamental risks, which are still out there. And I guess um, when we talk about CBDCs, there is the case at hand, and I do not see right now any stakeholder in the crypto economy which could um, substitute a CBDC for mass adoption in order to achieve the goal of well, itself. Peter, I would like to know also your opinion on this. I, I don't think that CBDCs are poisoned apple, as you framed it. I think it's a net positive for crypto. Uh, first reason is that it, legitim it legitimizes the blockchain technology. So it's like now the institution, like the top institution, European Central Bank, is doing something with the blockchain. And that gives a big signal to people that the blockchain technology is legitimate. We didn't have that like five years ago. So uh, this is a good thing. Second thing is that uh, I expect that <clears throat> CBDCs will somewhat merge with DeFi and all the blockchain. So for instance, you will go to a decentralized exchange and you will have their CBDC, you will have the Ethereum and, and other tokens, and it, it will all be mixed within, within each other. But the point is, it will be traded on decentralized exchanges. So it will enhance the adoption. It will be a fuel um, to, to decentralize finance anyway. I would maybe have a question for Peter. Does it really matter uh, that they legitimize blockchain if you know out they outlaw crypto, the same entities behind them? Yeah, but I don't think that the crypto will be outlawed. Like it's it's not that black and white. It might be limited to some extent, but I don't think it will be outlawed. Um, and there's there's another angle to to this uh, to this frame, and I like I always like to look at the history. And you know, in the 90s, we had public internet, and we had this wave of intranets, like these private networks, like private internet. And as history has played out, it, it didn't work. So the private network pri private networks didn't get the network effect. This is what I'm expecting with CBDCs as well that they won't have that much innovation happening on top of them. And that's why public networks or like public DeFi, like the, the more original uh, crypto networks, they will win just because they will out-innovate uh, like CBDCs. But they will certainly put some fuel to the industry, which I'm not scared of. Uh, actually, the countries that are promoting uh, CBDCs the most, like China, Nigeria, or Ecuador, they are very hostile towards crypto. So I think that this is a regulatory danger that uh, the, the governments will try to enforce CBDCs rather than let it compete uh, with crypto. So uh, I don't think that a CBDC is a good idea. And I, I think that it's an evil thing. Uh, and hostile towards crypto. 
finally we will come to some disagreements. <laughs> I like it. Rastislav, what is your opinion on this? I totally agree. It's um but who with? With the colleague on the screen. Yeah. Jakub, okay. Jakub, yes. It's probably the biggest threat to our liberties in the modern history. Um the government through CBDCs can stop your payment, can seize your funds, it can expire your currency. Basically, can say uh, right now you uh, have to spend your euros in the next six months, and if you don't, we'll just expire it. So they're going to have a total control over how much we spend, what we spend on. Uh, you driving a Tesla? Okay, you spend too much electricity uh, for this month. Uh, we're going to stop all the payments for your charging station. All these features can be incorporated into the CBDC uh, without any issues. And governments, since they're going to have the option, eventually they're going to use it. On the other hand, there is an advantage to it because uh, people are going to start to realize that uh, there's a difference between CBDCs, which are total control currencies, and Bitcoin, which is open source decentralized payment system where you don't need a permission from a third party for payment or for receiving a payment. Uh, basically, they're going to realize the difference. And that's that's the good side of the CBDCs. The only good side is I can see that people are going to actually wake up. Is there anything you want to add, uh, David? Because I've seen that you... No? Okay. So from what you heard, you have to make your own decision about about uh, CBDCs, but I would just add to, to your point of view, but from my point of view, for example, if, if uh, there are CBDCs, but uh, there are also stable coins like, like we have now, so you have this parallel system then, and you can choose, you are able to choose which you use, then still parallel system and it's okay. But if we are forced to not, not having any stable coins, only CBDCs, that would be the case that is the worst. Regular stable coins, that's fine. You know, they have to be backed one by you know one to one with real currency and so forth or assets. That's fine. But you know, but to establish CBDCs as, as the only way or the only stable coin is dangerous. But if they let them compete with you know the established or new stable coins that satisfy certain standards and regulations, you know, like USDC and others. Um, and we have a choice, which one we use. I agree with uh, Peter that I think there's going to be a lot more innovation with the non-government sponsored stable coins. And, and in the end, you know, those private stable coins uh, will actually win if, if the government doesn't actually prohibit them. Um, what you, you mentioned that there are like good stable coins and bad stable coins, but I, for some reason, I consider almost all stable coins to be bad or like like evil because conceptually they're coming from like traditional financial system and like all the stable coins are just mirroring the USD or the or the euro. And I think that the whole crypto industry are having this wrong. Like they're looking into the wrong alley. Even like the like decentralized stable coins like uh, like Dai like from Maker MakerDAO. Uh, I don't think we should go to experiment with like in this way to try to mirror the, the dollar. We should try to create a new currency that is stable by itself. 
that has some internal stabilizing mechanisms or it's becoming a standard. It's becoming a unit of account that people are measuring the value in that coin, which is not the dollar. And if the CBDC will take the role of the, of the major stable coin, well, crypto researchers will have to focus on things that are in a more brighter direction. I agree with Peter, but uh, we, we could see like actually Facebook was attempting to to do this with um, the Libra uh, project and to create a new asset with a new qualitative monetary monetary qualities and we know how that ended up or it didn't even like launched. And of course, uh, also it was mentioned uh, that of course the open and you know, stable coins and the open blockchains will be out innovating anything that's happening on the private networks. And that's what I'm afraid of is that of course governments will not like it and they will, you know, impose restrictions. And now the question how big of restrictions they will really do. And, um, but that's something that can be really dangerous. Yeah, I agree with those restrictions. Like right now, they're regarding to algorithmic stable coins. Now they are not forbidden, but they have like this two two years period that they have to be tried and researched and so on. And regarding to stable coins in Europe, the new Mika is is talking about this. And I, I don't know if we are allowed to share some information about this today. So, uh, but but just simply said, it, it's not bad. You want to say something more? I guess the news is already out there, and the news is at So I lost my words, sorry. And a stablecoin, which is based on algorithms. Well, it's it's still already out there. It is not essence reference, and it's not an e-money token. So such a stablecoin would definitely work within the upcoming European um, framework of, of crypto assets. The question really out there is whether this algorithm in an economic effect refers to an reference which is backed on an asset. So there we are with the ARGs, asset reference tokens, or whether it mirrors simply an e-money token. So and that is then, I guess, uh, where we go into token engineering in detail and into the details of the algorithms in order to sign on it accordingly. But I guess the window is, is, is open, the door is open, and the gene is out of the bottle. So let's build. Okay, we have started a little bit, a little bit with uh, central central banks, digital currencies. So let's move a little bit to the banks. Like, where do you see the role of uh, uh, distributed ledger technologies in financial services and banks for payments, clearance and settlement systems, uh, fundraising, security, loans and credits, uh, trade finance, or customers KYC? Where where do you see it? Like the biggest added value, and where will it go? I think that's a sector that we see today already being ripe for disintermediation. And it's happening, right? DeFi platforms that have, have launched, right? You get decentralized exchanges, you got a money transfer that's much easier to do today than through the banks. Um, so, uh, you know, remittance, remittance payments. I think, you know, even insurance, uh, we're starting to see some insurance uh, offerings. Uh, and, um, you know, uh, capital fundraising. I mean, that was one of the, you know, first, although maybe unfortunate applications, but, you know, it worked. So um, so I think that uh, they're going to have a hard time. I mean, and, you know, Visa, MasterCard, they're all trying to like, you know, enable their you know, huge um, uh, fleets of merchants to, to accept payments in crypto. 
but because uh, they're under a threat. I think, you know, Ether, Ethereum and other networks uh, are going to compete with them and effectively, and I don't see them really defending their, their positions. So I think the whole financial sector is the first one to get really disintermediated. If we would accept a scenario where, where like traditional finance would still somewhat coexist to decentralized finance in the same way, like there is still paper mail to email, right? It, it still exists to some extent, but the email is like uh, much, much bigger. Uh, so what do I think that decentralized finance has the most to bring to the world is in the light of the current geopolitical, like Russian Ukrainian uh, war, is that decentralized finance is a politically neutral financial infrastructure. And that is very beneficial when you want to do international settlements, when you want to have reliability of the payments and reliability of, of everything working 100%. And I believe this narrative will, will grow over time in coming coming years. Plus showing that it's also fulfilling the promise of being more cost effective, right? I guess um, that's now what's going to be happen with the DLT pilot regime. And that's what I think every market participant and infrastructure stakeholder needs to realize, especially with this intermediation. The idea is there, but take gas fees into consideration. Well, and this intermediation is, is there where you start calculating. And I guess the effectiveness of uh, being cost effective that is still due to be, um, well, let's say, uh, to be calculated and to be shown. And I think that will be demonstrated soon anyway. But still, I think that is that is what we need to see, especially when it comes to financial infrastructure and um, DLT-based layers. Would you like to add something? Sure. Um, um, in the space of loans and credit and payments, uh, commercial banks had uh, monopoly for the last 100 years. Uh, they created this little cartel. And for the first time in history, they have, they have a predator in the form of uh, CFI and DeFi companies, uh, especially CFI companies. So let's just refer to them as uh, crypto banks have uh, gained a lot of market share from the existing commercial banks. However, there are uh, major risks associated with the crypto banks. Um, uh, first of all, they're, they're not really FDIC insured or they don't have insurance uh, on the deposits. Therefore, they're running three major risks. One is the um, counterparty risk. Another one is the hacking risk. And a third one is uh, the fraud risk. And uh, we could have seen this, uh, these risks materialized in the last couple of uh, months and years in, uh, in a famous, infamous uh, Celsius crash. Uh, two years ago, there was a credit earn crash. No, not too many people remember it, but it was a fraudulent company as well. Yet, uh, despite all these reasons and risks, uh, crypto banks are gaining market share every year. And uh, there are, I would say, three major reasons for that. Uh, well, two major reasons. One is that uh, they provide much higher interest rates than the existing commercial banks, which offer basically on to zero, zero to non-interest. Uh, uh, their, their approval for loans are 
literally within minutes in crypto banks. Uh, you just put a collateral in, in, in Bitcoin and you get a loan instantly, as opposed to commercial banks that, uh, you know, approval process takes, takes sometimes weeks if you ever get approved. But more importantly, um, uh, uh, a big advantage than the first one is the uh, social advantage because um, uh, the crypto banks are more inclusive than uh, commercial banking. Uh, according to the World Bank, almost half uh, of the world's population have uh, almost no access to banking or very limited access to banking. And these crypto banks actually include the rest of the population. So the marginalized people on this planet, like poor people, uh, immigrants, um, people from the third world countries and so forth. So uh, you don't need a, a huge KYC uh, onboarding processes with the crypto banks to enter. You can invest in whatever you want uh, without the need for some kind of investor protection programs uh, restrictions. Therefore, according to game theory, uh, crypto banks are going to gain, gain more and more uh, market share in the future and commercial banks are going to lose pretty much everything uh, eventually. I don't really agree with it. Uh, do you think that AI generated art will replace the artists like uh, Midjourney AI or Stable Diffusion? Will it make the artists obsolete? I think to some extent and uh, in some respects, yes, uh, but in other respects, not really, because the artists will use it and they do use it uh, to cut down their costs and to save some time. And the same thing uh, applies to banks and crypto. Uh, the banks are evolving and they already adopted crypto and they keep adopting crypto. So maybe they will stop uh, <coughs> offering some services because these services will become obsolete. Uh, but I believe to a larger extent, they will just incorporate DeFi uh, <coughs> tokenomics or, or cryptocurrencies uh, as, as they are into their services. The banks are rich and they pay good wages to some of the most brilliant minds and uh, these people will just continue working for the banks and the banks might invest in some uh, DeFi protocols or governance tokens or whatever. Uh, I think that the Web3 uh, idea that is exaggerated. It's just another way how to govern projects. And I think that the traditional industries will uh, will play their part in that. The, there's no reason why they wouldn't. If they see money in it, they will just, you know, put the money in it and, and, and participate. So it's it's evolving. And, and I don't think that uh, the banks uh, are the enemy. Plus, there is the thing that there still will be fiat uh, in parallel to any cryptocurrency for a long time and it's the commercial banks who create fiat so they are quite important for, for, in, in this sector so plus uh, people want to communicate uh, with people some people like to play with DeFi, uh, but some people just want to call someone and uh, let them do it for them so that's that's what the bankers will do in the next decades. I believe they they won't get obsolete. Some of their services maybe, but banks will stay. 
Okay, so from from what I heard from you is that basically banks will stay here to be like some offices and they will adopt the decentralized finance. So let's say like it was done also with uh, unfamous Luna and UST and on Y Accelerator in America, there were already startups that were building on top of it. So basically banks will be doing something like this, that they, they will basically leverage those, those uh, protocols, right? Yeah, that's a perfect summary. Thank you. Yes. Okay, nice. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah, definitely. If you, if you don't agree or you want to add something. Definitely don't agree. Uh, if this were the case, then candle companies would become electricity companies. If this were the case, then the horse and buggy companies 100 years ago would become the best automobile companies. And if this were the case, then the Kodak would be the best digital camera in the world and would have an iPhone. They all became obsolete and they got decimated by the innovation and disruptive technologies. Yeah, but these are... These the are, these are that banks can protect themselves is through the politicians, lobbying and regulations. But the product is just not there to compete with the existing technologies. Uh, I don't really think that uh, this... The best thing is like when... Uh... You don't agree with each other because then uh, in the end, it's uh, on each of us to make our, our own decision about it and opinion about it. So so I believe you can make your own opinion about this from, from what you heard. Okay, we are we are getting to the last five, maximum seven minutes of uh, our discussion. So that, that could be time for, we have talked about many things. So... Uh, if, if there's anything that you would like to this panel discussion, I would like you to, to do it now. So, um, is there anything what you considering? Uh, I would just <clears throat> sort of emphasize that, you know, when we see a lot of people sort of see the headlines and, you know, crypto is crashing, but that's just sort of the surface and it you know, has a real world impact and, you know, people who invested. But underneath all that, you know, sort of the, the innovation that's still happening and, and the, the adoption by institutions, both in terms of like the investing institutions, but also the businesses and corporations, uh, you know, adopting blockchain and, and cryptocurrencies is happening. And, and, you know, cryptocurrencies as well as the uh, smart contracts and DeFi uh, projects, it's happening. So in all of this sort of a frenzy and media frenzy around, you know, the, the price crash, uh, people tend to think that it's all over, uh, and and when in fact it's actually just you know building for a, a whole new phase. Yeah, absolutely. I underline that, and I would add something else because we had the merge last week. So uh, let's think back. What is the basis of all this? It's the technology, and still, what is needs to be done also in the future is to further build um, scalable DLT technology. Uh, this is what happened with Ethereum, of course, with the merger. It was also, but beyond many other reasons, again, and further iteration of further development. And I think that needs to go to happen to build scalable DLT technology, uh, blockchain technology. That development and that development race still needs to happen and to pick up even more. You don't have anything to add? I would just like to ask you, is there any single event that could uh, somehow really accelerate this trajectory, this roadmap? 
do you think is there anything like this or it has to has this its natural own way of you know how to progress it hard question i can see <laughs> one one lucky shot the european union is adopting bitcoin also as a legal tender and a legal form of currency that would be a huge wave or the us or china let's say or a huge market worldwide uh, whether the European Union will do it, something sooner or later we'll see, but I guess that would be a huge wave. Definitely. I have one of these scenarios of the future that might happen, might be interesting even to accelerate the whole adoption uh, of the of the space. And I would like to see at some point in the future that right now you have crypto networks and they have different governance stakeholders, right? Because whoever owns the token is a kind of like a decision maker over, over the network. Uh, I don't think that the group of decision makers should be like exclusive to some internet online community. It can be anyone. It can be you, me, it can be a community, it can be a bank, or it can be a, even a central bank or even a government. So at some point in the future, I, I see that, for instance, ECB, European Central Bank, would uh, hold, I don't know, 10% of the tokens of Uniswap and would contribute to the decision making on how to shape the public protocol and what what is the future. So this is what I like like to say when when there are like these uh, community uh, meetings over governance. For instance, Uniswap, right? And they they are discussing whether they should uh, like make the change in the protocol because it, it, they want to be compliant with the with the um, with the regulation. I would say on the on the meeting that. Well, there is no one coming from the regulators on this online meeting raising their opinion that um, that the protocol should be shaped uh, somehow, you know, so invite them. And if they think that this is the better design of a protocol, let them state their opinion here on the governance, uh, on the governance meeting of the, of the protocols. So I would like uh, the institutions uh, to become part of the decentralized finance in the future. Sounds too good to be true. <laughs> Jakub, maybe do you want to add anything? We we cannot hear you again. You, your mic is muted. Yeah, I, I, I agree with my colleague that if a major central bank like the one of uh, European Union or Eurozone, US or Brazil or Mexico uh, adopts Bitcoin or says, hey, it's a legal tender, or at least we have it in the reserves, um, or the national pension funds has like 20% of money in, in Bitcoin or any other crypto, that would be that would be a booster, something that yeah, sends, uh, sends the whole industry up. And that would win a lot of trust uh, for, for all crypto asset projects. Would you like to add anything, Rastislav? Like yeah, I, I'll just yeah. I'll just um, look at it from other perspective. I believe uh, we don't need to accelerate it. It's already fast enough. If you look at uh, the internet adoption in 1997, we had uh, about 100 million internet users over the world with 63% a year uh, growth in adoption. With uh, cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, uh, we have pretty it's pretty much similar amount of users right now, but with 112% increase in crypto adoption. That's a double of the speed. 
and internet grew quite fast. So this is double of the speed of the internet. And I think it's just the right speed for people to uh, realize uh, and, and start using it in the future. I don't think we need any faster speed. It was really nice word at the end of our panel discussion that we are on the right speed. And I would like to thank you once again for your participation here, for your wise opinions. And I believe that we will meet here uh, in one year on next uh, on next Finn week. Thank you very much once again. And